Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell, and the wailing wallflower himself, Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. You know, wouldn't it be nice if there were somewhere to go to jumpstart your teaching and get some new ideas about trumpet playing? No, wait, there is. Open that browser and get over to www.worldtrumpetfederation.com. Home to the Open Bell podcast, the WTF also has informative articles, cool videos, and Joey's almost famous blog, which rains down great doses of Tartel logic like double C's in the exhibit hall at ITG. So head on over to worldtrumpetfederation.com for some new perspectives and a little trumpet fun. And by Big Time Turtlenecks. Are you a conductor? Do you aspire to be one? Well, then you've got to know that wardrobe is everything. If you don't have an assortment of high-quality turtlenecks to choose from, well, then you're clearly doing it wrong. But don't worry. Big Time Turtlenecks is here to help. Whether you're a wind conductor, orchestra conductor, wagging in front of a brass band, or just standing in front of the mirror at home practicing condescending vocabulary to use on perfectly capable musicians, we've got a turtleneck for you. With over 10 models to choose from, we can have you looking pretentious in no time at all. Order now, and we'll include our newest turtleneck pajamas so that you can pretend you're the best musician in the room even when you're sleeping. If you aspire to wave a stick, alienate people, and inflict your overcooked musical ideas on everyone, then we've got the product for you. Big time turtlenecks. Just go to www.lookatme.com for details. The Open Bell is comprised of three segments. Warming up, couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to chew the fat, talk turkey, or talk the hind legs off a donkey with information that we believe is important to a ready and waiting trumpet community. Gentlemen, shall we? Warming up is brought to you by All Natural Chop Saver Lip Care. Uh, this is the segment that we use to ease into the show by sharing some things that are on our radar. I'll tell you what's on my radar. Spring is coming, which means more time on the bike. Now, I know this is a trumpet podcast, but I had no idea when I switched to Chop Saver, it would help my cycling too. In fact, all act outdoor activities. I just use less of the stuff, which means I can apply it and move on to whatever else I'm doing. And the fact that it comes in SPF 15 makes it perfect for cycling and outdoor trumpet playing. And speaking of someone who is much better suited to play outdoors, Brian, what do you have for us? <laughs> a little too loud for inside company. <laughs> Great. So um, I've been practicing a lot because I'm coming back from this, from this injury. And I started um, thinking about when I rejoined the band playing cornet. Of course, there's a cornet topic. Um, and uh, Shocking. Uh, started playing a little bit more cornet and uh, started playing some etudes on cornet. And then I thought, what about playing, um, starting to do test pieces on cornet? And then I noticed that for the first time, there's a company, there's a publisher, a music company um, called Pennine Music. Um, the Pennines are a, a group of like small mountains between Manchester and, and Leeds, Huddersfield. Oh, holy crap! And a are are we having a there. British geography lesson yeah, now? Is that what's going on? I'm just—I <laughs> actually happy I knew what he was talking about. Wow! You know, bring it around here, Brian. What do we got? And so they have this. Uh, what they have now are—they—they they call them practice pads, and the practice pads are 
the parts to test pieces. And so you can get on YouTube and load up the test piece, but you can buy a practice pad, so solo cornet one or solo cornet part, and you can play test pieces along. It's sort of, it's not quite like Music Minus One, but it's a pad of all these great test pieces. And they have them for all the different instruments, but they've, they've just started putting them out for, for all these different instruments. Now, we have in our band library a whole list of, of test pieces. So I've started to pull those out and sort of make my own practice pad, um, which is fascinating. And I just wanted to remind people that I know that Jazz musicians do this all the time, right? This, this is a thing that, that jazz musicians do, and we ask our students maybe to play along with the Maurice Andre recording or the Tina Thing Helseth recording of, of Hummel. Um, but you can also do it for cornet and brass band music. Uh, I've often, uh, I've been saying for years, this is the best way to practice excerpts. Now let's take the two easiest ones to deal with, Mahler 5 and, and, and pictures. How does it start? Right off the beginning is the excerpt. You don't even have to go hunting mm -hmm. for it. So you just take that track, drag it into GarageBand, snip it, and you make the excerpt. And then you play along. And I say, pick your favorite recording. If you're playing along with Bud Herseth, and you're playing along with Phil Smith, whoever you like, if you're matching them, you're right. You're doing fine. <laughs> so uh, I don't know why, you know, again, you're right. Uh, jazz musicians have been doing this forever. You know, we transcribe and we play along with. You know, like if I can take off... Uh, you know, a uh, uh, Miles Davis recording and play along with Miles and really get into the sound style and all of that and then do it without him, then I'm good, right? That's a great way. I don't know why uh, in the classical world this hasn't been as much part of the pedagogy as it should be. It's a great idea. It's absolutely, absolutely a great idea. I think smart music does some things like this, right? It's got some some pieces, wind band stuff wired into it, right, that you can play along with. And use yeah. that so that there's mm -hmm. a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had, I must say, I've tried to use smart music several times in the past. I've had zero success with smart music. Yeah. Mm. It seemed, hmm. for me, it was super glitchy. Um, yeah. So we had so an account at school. Practice pads. I dig it. Yeah. Practice pads. That's great. Pads. Joey, what do you have for us? I have this. Um, as we've all been locked up for a long time and I've had to like clean my own horns, which is frankly just a travesty. Disgusting, um, <laughs> really. Uh, it is. It's terrible. Um, I, I know we've talked, I brought up valve oil once before, but I was having this discussion with a student as I watched them try and move their third slide, third valve slide. Mm. <laughs> I said, that needs to move like a trombone slide. Your first and third valve slides need to move effortlessly just like trombone slides. Now, not so much for your tuning slide. So let's talk slide grease. How do I you like guys it. get your slides working that way? I'm, v I'm very finicky about this, and I find it very important. Do you guys have preferences here? Brian? Yeah, so, so um, man, I don't know how to tell this story. I used what I call blood, sweat, and tears of freshman trumpet majors. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's red. I put it myself, I put it into... A, an Alcast bottle that I've dumped the valve oil out of, and um, and students just come and ask for blood, sweat, and tears. Um, it's uh, uh, transmission fluid, mm -hmm. and I use transmission fluid because I was on a gig uh, years ago um, with Rob Sconison. Yeah, uh, Bob Marazzini. Bob Marazzini, the one and, and only. I was playing. I remember what part I was playing, but I had a solo on flugelhorn, and it involved. C sharps, D sharps, and low A flats. And it was pretty twisty. 
I could not get my third valve slide to come back in. So the two and three <laughs> combinations were not flat. <laughs> <laughs> Just could not get it to work. I tried, you know, my regular stuff. And uh, and I said, I said, man, I'm really struggling with this. He was standing next to me. And he said, oh, here, just use this. And he gave me this weird bottle that had this red fluid in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, what is it? And he said, just put it on. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> and it was beautiful, and the gig was fine, and the solos were fine, and it was easy to move the slide around. And then afterwards, he said, it's transmission fluid. So I bought a $2 bottle of transmission fluid at Pet Boys, and it's lasted, whatever, 12 years. I haven't even made a dent in it. Right. Um, Are you worried about inhaling that at all? Uh, no. I, d- I don't I don't breathe through my horn. Mm. Hmm. Bill, what it's are you using? My horn. Well, I, I've gone through a whole bunch of things for this. Uh, there's this company that uh, they got. It's a white bottle with green letters. I can never remember never the name remember. of that. But yeah, they've got a <laughs> series of stuff, stuff. and yeah. that <laughs> stuff's not ba- bad. The gel's not bad. Yeah, but the secret stuff I have, and I can't tell you what's in it. I mean, Uh-oh. I could. But it had to kill you. So this came from um, <laughs> my friend Jim Hounstein, who owns the Horn Hospital mm-hmm. out in Marysville, Pennsylvania. Right, he's your guy. Yes. Yeah. He's my guy, right. And he, one time I was having trouble with the slide, and he, and he put the stuff on it, and I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. What is it? And he goes, well, it's a little homemade mixture. It's got some lanolin and some other stuff in your name that I can't remember. I don't think he told me everything that was in it. But I have this secret little tube of it in my case, and it, you don't need very much of it. And, man, it works even on the short piccolo slide on the Shires, you know that tiny little short slide, mm-hmm. man, killer. Right. Now, but you that from him? Can he be a sponsor? Uh, sure. Okay, but I want to follow up with uh, this because I, I will tell you what I what I really like is actually the stuff Shilky makes, which is basically mm-hmm. some lanolin, right? Yeah. It's right. really great. So I use that it's for my s- with cut by valve oil, right? Well, that's the key, right? Because I don't trick. want my tuning slide to be that slick. So I want a slide grease that's thick enough for my tuning slide. So my tuning slide will move, but it's not sliding around. And then I put that I put a thinner layer th- of than that on my first and third slides and then just a couple drops of valve oil and work it right in. It works great and it's so simple. But I found a lot of trumpet players aren't bothering with this. And then well, you know, and I get th- you'll get down to that uh can I hear that low D again? no shot you're like <laughs> does your third slide work you know and there are teachers out there that have said things like oh you don't need those to be able to those slides and they're right if you can play in tune right but you know if those slides are there and you're sharp let's go ahead and use them yeah i mean means you're not lipping exactly no oh, exactly you, know you want to play in the middle of the you want to play in the middle of the pitch and if the slide helps yeah. you get there then your sound will stay open but that's where i'm going on that so yeah the combination of stuff, I think, is a really good idea because you don't, right? It, it has to be a different viscosity than the valves or the main slide. Mm-hmm. It's got to be different. Yeah. All right. That way you it's only need two things. You got the slide grease, you got the valve oil, you're set for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mix it. Nice. Bill, what do you got for us this morning? Well, I was in studio class today, and as always, it kind of evokes some ideas. And so what we were doing today is I was introducing some etudes, and we were, we were playing half, we were getting through the etudes line by line by taking turns, right? So half the studio would play the first line the other half would play the second and you know you can cover a lot of ground no one gets beat up and you do that that that's not the story anyway the reason i'm talking about this is because we started to talk about the level of the etudes that we were reading and if they were comparable to what they had to do for district and region band when they were in high school and it reminded me that not all of them had to audition 
for district and region band. Oh, they, yeah. they, they, they all didn't have oh, etudes. Oh, right? Boy. So some of them are what we refer to as a paper band. Right? Yep. And I may or may not oh, have yeah. stood in front of many of Turtlenecking. these. Turtlenecking, as it were. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, what was interesting is that what came out of it is that the students who didn't have the etude uh, experience to get in were actually kind of upset by it. They look back and wish they would have had that experience. So I'm, I, this is my thing all along. Like, not only is it important to pick the right things for auditions, we've talked about that a bunch, but, but man, deprive, actually depriving students of an audition opportunity does not make educational sense to me. Yeah, this is complicated, though, because, one, those paper bands, which for people who don't know what those are, what happens in those most of the time is directors get together and they sort of nominate students but right. they want to make sure they get kids from everywhere, and it's and it's equitable as far as those go, uh, those things go, because if one place has a ridiculously strong program, they're not going to just put all those kids in. So right. it it it's really complicated in that it rarely makes full and good sense. So, but from the audition standpoint, then the other part of it is is that you know I grew up in Texas where I grew up knowing that music was a sport and we were supposed to go win it. You know, so we don't want that either. <laughs> you know, I mean, and one of the reasons I'm good is because, hey, oh, it's competition time. You know, October in, in Texas, you do the uh, region and uh, region and state orchestra, and then, uh, or that's jazz band, then November is orchestra, and then you do district, region, area, and uh, state band auditions in December. It's every other weekend you're out there auditioning, playing, because you got to go mm -hmm. win and beat those other people. That's what yeah, you do. That's what you do. So we don't want that either. But right. If we're talking about education and we're talking about getting kids to play well, then we should be giving them opportunities to perform. And if the audition is that venue, then, yeah, we need them to play. Right. Playing is always better than not playing. Mm -hmm. For the paper band, do they do auditions once they arrive for to get the placement right? Well, yeah, some of those, you know, once they get there, then they have to either do excerpts, depending on, again, what part of the state you're in. You practice the music and you're tested on that. But some districts and regions, they don't want you doing that. They want everyone to be judged the same way. So they'll only pick something out of the music if everyone in the band has it. Well, you know how difficult that would be. <sighs> so they switch then to a process called common part etudes. So they had someone, they've had a couple different people over the years write etudes that then are sort of adapted and transcribed for every instrument in the band so that everyone's learning the same piece of music and then they're judged on that. Brutal. So wow. that's how they advance then like from district to region to states. That doesn't make any sense at all to me. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but the the thing is that it, it is truly all over that. But what I, you know, I think I've heard directors defend, you know, for the same reason that Joey's saying like, look, it's a small program. I'm not going to get anyone in. Right. Like right. I don't have kids that study privately and all that. So I do understand that it's complicated. And then you have the big powerhouse programs that get all their students study privately and they get in. But right. what was interesting to me was affirming to me is that the students who didn't have that process wish they would have. Right. They yeah. wanted the chance to audition. They wanted the process. Yeah. But but you're also looking at kids who have gone on to college to become music majors. True. So, of course, they wanted the process. But right. there are other kids maybe off an, um, majoring in engineering going, hey, I played in this region band when I was in high school. That was really fun. They just put me in it. Right. And that could have been a great experience for them as well. Exactly. Yeah. That's where, yeah. It, gets, it's where it gets tricky and gets complicated. There's, you know, because 
even when I was doing this in high school, what I realized fairly early on is that most of these people don't want to grow up and be professional trumpet players, so they're not really my, for lack of a better term, competition. Yeah. Right. Even though that's what we're doing, but we don't separate that out. Oh, right. the serious kids are going over here, and yeah. the kids are just <laughs> doing this because it's fun are over here. We don't do that either. Right, right. And everybody's just hanging out. No offense, Brian. <laughs> Having fun. <laughs> well, good. Good, good. Hey, so listen, normally we're doing backboard bingo right now, trumpet trivia, Joey yeah. Jeopardy. Yeah. Tonight's something entirely different, right? So we've had so many people starting to ask, you know, questions about us personally on the podcast. I thought it'd be kind of fun. Tonight we're going to to roll out two truths and a lie. Right? The the open bell edition. Okay, this is going to be a little chance to reveal some stuff about ourselves, and you know, this means Brian has to actually say something about himself, other than he, he plays does. cornet. And I think, yeah, you know, as we pre- you know preparing for this, Joe, you made a really excellent point, which is Brian's at an advantage here. Yeah, huge advantage. He speaks to no one. Yeah, <laughs> and says nothing. And says nothing when so he does. does he so less. we really know nothing about him. Yeah, <laughs> Brian could tell. I mean. He could just say all kinds of stuff, and we'd be like, eh, I he, guess that's possible. Sure. He could be a British spy, claim to be a British spy. We'd go, that's not true. That's like, No, and he is. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. What I mean? It may, would make sense. Make, actually, actually, God, that makes a lot of I, sense. I hope I'm not stealing his thunder on this. Well, thing. except, except for this, I don't, think, uh, I don't think he would be that, uh, uh, he'd be this much of an Anglophile if he was a British spy. Like, he could be a French <laughs> spy. Yeah, <laughs> pretending to love the British. Exactly. That's a great does. cover. That's brilliant. This makes a lot more sense. <laughs> okay. All right. This is good. I feel yeah. like I'm ready now. Yeah, Brian, do you want to lead off? Do you want to go Brian's first? I think Brian's got to go first. You have here. to go yes, after that. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. All right. So, uh, so we're doing all three first, yeah. and then you guys are going to yeah, two, try right. and suss out. We're going to try and give figure us out the truth. Two truths okay. and a lie. Okay. Here's, here's number one. So you should know by now that um, when I was o- at Oberlin, I played on the Oberlin baseball team, and I was the starting shortstop for four four years, and that I hold the record for the most number of errors in a season <laughs> to this day. Um, Which you also hold friend. with Trombamundi, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I think I don't know that we have anybody that can count that high the designation <laughs> of I'm any gonna, of the any of the six of us. I want to check with the statistician on that. Okay, a four-digit right. clicker we need <laughs> on stage. Um, so, uh, but you probably don't know that um, though Oberlin was terrible at baseball in my senior year, we only won uh, won two games my senior year that going into the last weekend of the season, that a powerhouse um, Division three school, Wittenberg, was uh, in need of a sweep of the Oberlin baseball team on that final weekend of the season. And we had only won one game, so they were counting on that. They came into town, and that weekend, I pitched and beat them. And I was also... Uh, seven for 13 with four doubles on the weekend. <laughs> it's three games. <laughs> and we did beat them. <laughs> and we ruined their chances of getting the playoffs that year. That's number one. So, you wait, Here's do we you, get to ask questions about this? You, okay, go ahead. You okay, pitched, you, you, you go said ahead. you pitched in one of those two games? 
I pitched in one of the three games. Oh, one of the three I games. Okay. I was the winning pitcher. How many innings did in you one pitch? Of the three games. I was the winning pitcher. How many innings um, did you I pitch in that game? I pitched six of the seven. Wow. Did, did you six of seven? Did you start or come in in relief? Yes, start starting. You started. Starting you pitcher. were starting pitcher. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. We can let him move yep. on. Uh-huh. All right. What what's number? What do you got for number two there? Okay, number two. Um, you'll know that um, I love photography. We do know I, that. I fancy myself a bit of an amateur photographer. But you don't probably know that since 1996, I've actually been a published photographer. Um, and that I've entered several photography competitions. And recently, I took third place in the South Jersey Photography Guild competition. And the category was uh, geometric shapes and leading lines. I only have one real problem with that. The South Jersey Photography Guild? Yeah. Come on. SDSJPG. <laughs> and so you say you're third chair in that group. Is that what you just said? I, I won third place in that category. I did what, not what win was the, best what was the pro- What was the prize for third place? Just the pat on the back. You don't get anything. Really? No money involved. Oh, that's did you? Did you? Think you in Jersey, uh, there'd be some money involved. Did you post your winning photo? <laughs> that's why I got third place. <laughs> that's how. Yeah. Now, first and second place were not awarded to anyone. <laughs> right. Well, they were dealing with their broken kneecaps. Right. Exactly. And the exactly. the other applicant got fourth. <laughs> right. Um, so, have did you have you posted this photo anywhere else? I have not posted the photo. Okay. Interesting. All right. All right. right, Number three. What's number three? Okay. So number three. Um, So you know that in uh, 2009-10, my family and I went to the UK. Really? Spent a year in- When you were a French spy. That's right. When I was a Mm -hmm. French spy. Spent a year on sabbatical, and then I played with the Brighouse and Rastrick Band, um, and also played with the Lindley Band um, under the direction of the the late, great Neil Jowett. Mm. Yep. But you don't know, probably, that during that trip- um, Neil actually invited me to conduct the band in a concert because he was on vacation in France during that weekend. And there so he, he, was on, he was on holiday, and I conducted an entire concert. I did the rehearsal, whole rehearsal schedule, and conducted an entire concert with the Lindley Band. They did not make me do the speaking in front of the band. Um, but they did make me introduce one piece so people could laugh at my accent. I was going to say you'd need a translator. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's wow, so, so you're actually throwing out there the possibility that you're a conductor. That I was turtlenecking. Turtlenecking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. While his friend was in France. Hello, Yeah, Joey. come on. I know. I was on this early, right? I saw this coming a mile away. French, French spy. This is French obvious. spy all the way. All right, so I, so Bill, we have to figure out which one of these is a lie. Brian has done good work here because all three of these are crazy, and all three of them could absolutely be true. Yes, <laughs> and it's not beyond me that all three could be false. Sure. Oh yeah, that's what I mean by they're crazy. Like I, right. you could, I, I, I would believe any of the three of these are complete garbage. So, but we're, but, but I, one of what? What are you? Where are you leaning? I'm leaning. Wait, can I ask another question? Okay. What year was it that you pitched the win against Wittenberg? Sorry, uh, Division Three powerhouse Wittenberg. 
That's right. Yeah, get it, get it, get it right. Um, so that would have been. No, no, no. Your year in school. What year classification were you? Uh, spring of ninety. Oh, I was a senior. Your senior year. Yeah. Hmm. That's, what do you think? That's what do you think, where I'm kind of. Oh, going, you're thinking about that he that he pitched. Kind of going baseball that he pitched. He was such well, a terrible playing, shortstop to begin with. Except for your think. Think about this though. <laughs> they had to play three games. Right. They may have just needed. They They've been out of pitchers. They got to throw somebody out there. But he actually. Yeah. But here's the here's the other part. Third place in a photography thing published since 1996. That's a long time ago. He's saying for the past 25 years he's been a published photographer? I think there's a thing for it. That one doesn't strike me as... I don't know why. I keep going back that, to that the baseball one, That thing. one, uh, I'm, think, I'm, leaning, I'm leaning that way. You know way. that if we disagree, you have to play a double C, right? <laughs> we're not doing that game anymore. <laughs> well, you were so good the last time. Oh my it's God, the best so game awesome. we've ever played. It's the you best game ever played. Hands you, down. You two are evil. Yes. Uh, he was so a you're religious le- man. <laughs> he was a religious man. So you're leaning two. I'm leaning two for the, two the reasons. The photography thing. I, it seems that we would have heard something about that. And third place in the South Jersey Photography Guild sounds totally made up. I don't know. I feel like I did hear something about that. I could be making it up because I have to fill in all the blanks with Brian. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in a conversation with Brian, essentially. So so we're okay that he conducted an entire concert as an American visiting a British brass band? That could happen. A whole concert? I conducted part of a concert over there. I was there for a week. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Let's let that one go then. So (laughs) It's not like against any kind of. Gil, Neil said, do you have a baton and a turtleneck? I said, yes. Okay, well, then you can conduct on this concert. <laughs> you guys are the worst. <laughs> I'm going, You're although gonna... I want number one to be true, actually, because it's kind of a great story. Seven for 13 with four doubles? I don't think he could hit four doubles. I'm going number one. <laughs> I'm going the baseball story I'm is going number false. two. I'm going number two. And Joey's going two. All right, Brian. You ready? Yeah. yeah. The false one is number two. Yes! Oh. <laughs> Yes, I I am. I did not win a competition, but I was published as a photographer in 1996. Oh, but you didn't win the competition. Partially. Wow, there we go. Look at that. And the bait, but the baseball thing is true. That's quite an accomplishment. The baseball yeah. thing is true. They stopped pitching to me. <laughs> <laughs> I nice. was ripping the crap out of the ball, <laughs> and I was throwing hard that weekend in the zone. <laughs> they were not in happy the that they lost the game. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. It's one of the seven games that we won as a team from my sophomore year through my senior year. Seven oh, wins. man. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. beautiful. We were terrible. First year I, when I played shortstop, all those errors, we were 16 and 16. We actually had a good team. Mm-hmm. Had you not had all those errors, you might have had a winning record. We might have been all right, yeah. <laughs> we, one game, I, I think one game I had four errors <laughs> oh and, and 16 assists. <laughs> Was like instead, like they hit the ball to me every. Bat sure. Hit the ball to me. That's the smart move. Yeah. <laughs> hit it to short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So Joey, you or me? Uh, I think if we go in an order like we were before, I think I'm up, right? Okay. Sure. All right. My, I don't have these long stories to go with this. I, I know have, Brian I some, really. He was all I, in on this. I liked it I though. Was it was totally good. I, now I feel like good. I should. I should have more stories well, involved. You can, you can extrapolate. So, uh, 
I'm just gonna give you I'm just gonna give you three things about me. Here are the three things. Uh one, I'm in a movie with Sarah Jessica Parker. There's that. Which is awesome. You can ask any questions at all at this point. That's really all there is to it. Are you are you in the SAG? No, I'm not in SAG. Um, is it you or is it your trumpet sound? No, it's You're I'm in the movie. It's actually an, obviously an extra. Correct. Hmm. 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 No other questions about that. SJP. No, I might come back to it though. Okay. I, I wrote right, the same right. thing, Brian. SJP. <laughs> All right. JT SJP. All right. So I was looking around my office today as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with this, and it occurred to me. As you guys know, I have a lot of trumpets in my office. Mm. I actually looked. I actually have more horns than mouthpieces in my office. God, that's got to be a lie. <laughs> wow. You've more been in here. Horns. I thought you were going to say you realized that one's missing from when Brian and I were there. But thankfully, <laughs> can't keep track. He he he'll never, he'll never know. <laughs> I got to go look through some cases now. <laughs> But yeah, wow. uh, that I realized where do, today. Where do you keep your mouthpieces? Um, I have a, a tray. You know the Coke trays I have in my office? Yeah. yeah. Under I have his a pillow. Coke, I have Coke tray. I have a Coke tray with them in there. So. Uh, and then. Uh, Man, okay. And then the last one. There was a short period of time after getting off the road that I worked for America Online. If you called and asked for customer service, I was the one answering that phone call. Wow. Any questions? Uh, did you have to pick up the phone or did you have one of those wraparound? Oh, no, I had like the whole time-life oh, operator headset. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go back to Is number that in two. Florida? I'm sorry, I, 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 which go, question go ahead, am I answering? Brian. Go ahead, Brian. The, the third one, the, was that in Florida? No, uh, it was in uh, just outside of D.C., Reston, Virginia. Back to the horns and mouthpieces thing. Yeah. <laughs> More horns and mouthpieces in your office. Yes. But not in in entirety. I don't have any stuff at home. Okay. Right. I, I kind of recall that, but I thought maybe, you know, you might have like a storage shed in someone else's <laughs> name. <laughs> no. I'm, no, I'm not trying to lawyer you on this. Okay. I was, working, I was working with a student last week, and we were trying to find a mouthpiece that was better suited for her. And I went looking through them, so I had them all out. And as I was looking today at the wall in that case, I started counting and went, oh, no. This See, that's a weird day. one for me because I have a lot of mouthpieces in my office, but it's mostly because I confiscate seven C's from people. <laughs> When they come in, <laughs> I usually just take them. <laughs> I'm going to melt them down. This The movie wow, thing is not is... unbelievable to me. Where did this happen? Where was this movie shot? In Texas or it was New shot, York it City? It was shot in Miami. Oh, Miami. Miami. Wow. Okay, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Brian, are you ready? Do you have I, one? I'm, I'm ready. What do you think? I think he saw the movie being shot in Miami, but wasn't actually in it. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I think he was probably in the movie. Wow. I think they needed someone to take up a lot of space. <laughs> and they said, get that guy. Who's that guy? Um, I have never heard of all the talking we've done about gigs and stuff. I think I've be too distracting. I, I've never heard you 
talk about this AOL tech support gig before, and I think that's something you would have mentioned for a variety of reasons. So I'm going number three. Number three. That's a really good guess. All right. So okay. I, my guess is one. Bills is three. You're both wrong. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, of of course, bitch. you have more mouthpieces than horns. Not many, more to horns be than fair. Mouthpieces. <laughs> Not many. That <laughs> was fair. the thing. Is it was way closer than I thought. To be fair. To be, to be fair. To be fair. But I, what I do know is that you counted them. I did, yes, I did. And I could, which I don't know if you could count the high size you would need to for yours. No, not all those seven oh, okay. Cs. The, the movie was uh, called Miami Rhapsody. At oh, the very beginning wow. of the movie, you, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a wedding scene. And so what I found out is they hire through the musicians union because then they don't have to buy instruments because they wanted a band. Mm. So we shot for two nights and uh, we just sat there with our horns looking like a band. And we got paid extra money for, you know, two eight-hour shifts that were like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., which actually, as a grad student, paid really well. But, yeah, you can look it up. It's a mid-'90s movie. Sarah Jessica Parker's in it, Kevin Pollock's in it, a bunch of big stars in it. It's not a very good movie. Can you see yourself in it? I can see part of myself in it. It's not clear. But I I spent two (laughs) nights there. I'm in that movie. Uh, and, that and is um, awesome. America Online, this is dead true. There's uh, There are a couple friends I made on the road. There, uh, uh, a woman named Christy uh, Benton. And she, her father raised her and her sisters to be gigantic Maynard fans. And they are the biggest Maynard fans out there. So anytime we're in the D.C. area, they'd be out. They'd be hanging out. So we got to know them, got to, you know, got to be friends. And I was getting ready. I was getting that time. And she says, what are you doing next? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, she said, you know, and I, you know, my girlfriend's in grad school. I'm not sure what's going on next, you know. Well, you know about America Online? And for those of you who are not of our age or even Bill's, you could wow. not sling a dead cat without hitting a, an America Online CD just flying around. That's this right. was like the, the first really, really common dial-up internet that everyone had. She said, we don't have a lot of qualifications because nobody's done this before, so you have to take this little test. If you're interested, come on by. So I went in, I took the test, and they're like, when can you start? <laughs> now, everybody starts in customer service, so you got to go answer the phones. Mm. And so I was answering the phones, like canceling accounts, adding accounts. I want money back here. Hey, I need this done here. And they said, after six months, you can go anywhere else you'd like to go. Now, after I was there three months, they decided they were going to move their call center down to Florida. And I was back in D.C. with, you know, where I had been in the Army. So I knew people. I was plugging myself in, getting a little freelance work. I was not interested in moving to Jacksonville, Florida and taking a pay cut. So... That's when I left, and that's when I moved uh, out to Kalamazoo and then to Hard Kindergarten for that school year. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. I can't but believe we haven't dead, heard about that's that before. That's a dead, dead true dead story. true story. Wow. So, uh, so I got you guys. All right, Bill, you're up. All oh right. Let's see if I can get you. You guys probably figured this out. So, uh, shocking. I did this in chronological order. <laughs> so, I have a... Uh, so, we're starting with the piccolo? Right. Starting with the piccolo <laughs> story. I have... Um, uh, yes, I, I got a, a high school thing, I have a college thing, and then a later in life thing. All right. Um, I mean, you know that I'm not shy about talking in front of people or being on stage or, you know, that is being, clear. The, being the curb appeal for Trombamundi. Um, and so <laughs> the reason that is, of course, is because I have an extensive background in theater in high school, like many people, except that I won the Best Thespian Award my senior year in high school. Wow. I was voted best thespian. Acting. Acting. Thespian. The well, next. We're next going to come back to that. Oh, you got a, yeah, you got a question or what? Yeah, we you ask questions now? Whatever you want. No, we, okay. can, we can go. We can come back. Okay, we'll come back. Brian well, wants right, the whole that's picture. Fine. That's fine. Um, 
Now, you know, Joey, about a week or so ago, you challenged me on an etude and being able to like, this is this phrase is too long. And I, I sent that back to you. And I, I thought, you know, yeah. saying, yeah, it is too long ultimately. But but here's the thing. I think I can make it. As long as we can agree that I was right. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I think we're both right. <laughs> so uh, I've been able, I've had, you know, enjoyed pretty good lung capacity for a long time. In fact, uh, I won $50 once in a contest in my college marching band for holding out a C above the staff longer than anyone else in the section of the other 24 players. Which school? Uh, IUP undergrad. 50 bucks for holding out a high 50 bucks C. Holding okay. out a high C we'll longer than anyone else later. in the section. Okay. okay. And uh, the third one is pretty easy, actually. Uh, I actually played a gig with Tommy Newsom from the Tonight Show band. Tommy Newsom. All right. Brian, you want to go first or am I going where first? Where was the gig? Yeah, where was the gig? Uh, the gig was in Richmond, Kentucky. Hmm. Okay. Best thespian. So. <laughs> What <laughs> roles did you uh, have in high school? Um, I was in The Odd Couple. Was that right. written by then? Was that a premiere? You know what? <laughs> you want to know what? You, you, you want to know what? <laughs> and I was in uh, Flowers Flowers for Algernon. And I was who did, in... Who did, uh, you play, who did you play in The Odd Couple? Uh, I was the messy one. What's his name? Uh, uh, not Felix, the other one. Um, Oscar. What's Oscar's full name? It's been a long time. I don't know Oscar's last name. Oscar Madison. Seriously? Wow. It's been a long time. Getting, this is getting shakier and shakier. Um, <laughs> How long yeah. did you hold and, the high seat? And then Denny and the Witches. Uh, 37 seconds. Who was closest in second place? Oh, it wasn't even close. 20 seconds and so wait you, you just kept going you didn't you they cut off and you just kept going just even kept though you already won it was always easy yeah i won I was making a point i was making a point it's like you know when it's like you like when you just know you have the note and then you just drill it you know I'm just fa- to prove i'm familiar a point. with the concept familiar with the concept <laughs> a week ago <laughs> so i just held on we'll for fame and glory 37 seconds probably could have got 38 <laughs> and what year was this? Uh, this what year were 19- you in school? Well, I was a sophomore at the time because the two years after that I was drum major, so I wouldn't have had my horn with me. But my, it was my freshman and sophomore years I played trumpet, and it was my sophomore year I won the contest. Who paid the 50 bucks? Well, it was a pool. Oh, it was everybody chipped in? Everybody chipped oh. in. Well, that's just stupid. They knew they couldn't play. Those people are idiots. <laughs> I could Shot never have gotten like, my high school section. Like, if I tried something like that, they're like, we're not pitching. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. But, I mean, there were people that, I mean, come on, the trumpet players. Everybody thought they legitimately had a chance to do it, to win. <laughs> okay. Now I don't believe anything you're saying. Uh, what was the <laughs> gig in Kentucky awesome. with Tommy Newsom? Oh, uh, I was in grad school, and Tommy Newsom was a guest artist. Um, and uh, so he came in and played with the college big band. Hmm. And what does he play? The tenor saxophone. We play some of his charts, too. He's got an arrangement of Paper Moon that is just to die for. Mm. See, this <laughs> is the problem with Bill. Bill He's is an extraordinarily good liar. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> He's really good at it. I'm just no, practiced. I mean, I, I just, was the best thespian. I just had the, uh, or so you say, I just had this discussion with a student who came in, and we're getting ready. She's going to play the first day to it, and she gets ready and takes a breath and plays. And you can tell by looking at her, like, she just hasn't really gotten this together yet. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to ask you a question here. 
do you think you're a good liar? And she goes, no, of course not. I said, good. You shouldn't think that because you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Here are things people do when they lie. Mm -hmm. But Bill, Bill's a good liar. Well, come on. We we prepared for this, right? This is good. Brian, what you got thoughts? You got more he questions? Did what do you some think? Research to get a little depth under questioning. Um, yeah, I don't think he won Best Thespian. I think he was in the pit orchestra. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that. But if you go to a small school out in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, you could be both. No, yeah. and he totally nailed that high C. I believe that. Thirty-seven <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yes. He doesn't I, know Oscar Madison's name. At least I, thirty-seven dude, seconds. How long ago has that been? That's a long time ago. I still know it. And I was never in years. it. <laughs> Seventy-three years. Oscar Madison. He was a religious man. Yeah. And what what was his roommate's name? Felix Unger. Okay, there you go. Wow. He did prepare for this, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he totally played that. See, game. here's the thing: the Tommy Newsom thing seems the easiest. Which means that could be the one, because, yeah, guest artists come in all the time. So that could just be complete garbage because it's a throwaway. It sounds totally reasonable. <laughs> That's something Bill would do to us. He's a really nice man. <laughs> <laughs> I have a picture of him uh, in the house, in my mom's house, actually, of him holding Mitchell, my son. So he's tripling down. Yes, he is. Down. Oh, Triple down on the Tommy Newsom story. Can we get Mrs. Stoneman on the phone, please? <laughs> <laughs> She'd Brian, be so happy you, to hear from you guys. <laughs> Brian, what do you think? I'm, I'm going with number one. You don't think he got best thespian? No. Hmm. It's impressive that he pulled out a couple of plays, though. It's pretty good. Yeah. Gosh. Again, I... I We've done good here because I I, I absolutely believe none of these are true and all of them are true. (laughs) Like the Tommy Newsom one is an easy throwaway. That could just be like total bait because, well, of course, everybody played with guest artists. I mean, we played with all kinds of people, but no, he never played with them. That's just crap. Mm -hmm. But then the high C seems like, of course, he could play a high C in college. Of course, he could hold one out. But did they really chip in for 50 bucks there? Is that really a thing that happened? Two bucks a person. You had 25 people? Yeah. A big marching man back in the mm. day and the best thespian you're right man why is he not but plays aren't they don't have a pit like the odd couple isn't a musical it's a play right it's a play so he wouldn't be, there would be no pit he could be on stage he could be both could maybe so uh, any one of these but if somebody who won best th- thespian would have done both Right, he obviously did both. It would have been on stage during the musicals and in the play. Oh, you're right. That's good reasoning. That's good reasoning. So good. All right, tell you what. All right. I'm totally, I'm going with Tommy Newsom. I, I think you just made it up because it's an easy throwaway. This All right, Brian. Great. Brian, yeah, what I'm do you say? Number one, I'm still on the thespian. <laughs> I was the best thespian in 1981. Oh my god! <laughs> and I did play a gig with Tommy. Oh, oh you guys! <laughs> <laughs> but that's I good. never entered a contest to hold out a high C. But that sounds like something band. undergrads it, it would do. Totally. It, oh, that's course. a good story. Hammer down. Let's see who can do it. That's oh, a, that's, that's a awesome. good story. Well, I think yeah, we should do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wow. you guys uh, you guys were both wrong, so I have to hold out a high seat for 37 seconds. <laughs> that's exactly right. right. <laughs> Agreed. Wow, that's oh, amazing. this was fun. We might need to do this one again. That was good. That this would be great. But for now, on to a couple things.
today we're going to talk about setting the standard for each student. You know, in many instances, the standard is the standard, except maybe, you know, maybe that way of thinking needs to be adapted a little bit in the life of an individual student. So maybe there's a way to set a standard for each student. And I, if I could, guys, I'd like to provide context. Do you mind if I do this? I would yeah. appreciate if you did okay. this. Okay. So... <laughs> The, here's the thing. So recently I've been into this master class thing. You guys know about this, like the, mm -hmm. the video. Oh, man, there is some killer stuff. So I was watching a story about a master class by Billy Collins, who was the U.S. Poet Laureate. And he was talking about the first time he submitted poetry for publication. And the publisher got back to him and had, had clipped together like 10 or 12 of the 25 poems he submitted and said, these are really good. If you wrote a book of these I would publish it thereby being fair with him saying look not everything you did was great but this this thing you did was great and this represents who you are and I think you should pursue that and more recently we were watching one of these cooking shows love the cooking shows who does and <laughs> one of the judges on chopped said to a guy I think there are some really good bites in this dish in other words mm -hmm. right you look great idea really nice execute you know like really good idea some of this was good but your execution here and there wasn't that great but in other words these are strengths to retain and i think what this brought up for me was this idea that all, of course all students are different but there's this idea rather than saying be more like this person be more like that person be more like yourself when you do this thing in this way and set your own standard that's mm -hmm. the context that's fantastic. I like that. That sounds so good. Yeah. So I, uh, we were joking around, you know, like somebody does something and you go, well, yeah, just do that. Right. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just keep doing it that way? Just keep doing that. Right. Yeah. This is this is something that I, I, I try to work. I try really hard working with students because at a big school like IU, you know, we've got 50 trumpet majors. So what happens when any new student comes in, whether they're a freshman or master student, even doctoral students, they look around and do what most students do. They recognize the strengths of the other players and their own weaknesses. And then, oh my God, I suck. Do I even belong here? I should just quit and get out, right? It's a terrible idea. And even back to our discussion about talent, right? I, like, I, of course, I'm probably the harshest of the three and saying, I just don't believe it's a thing at all. Mm -hmm. Every student starts in a different place. And even when they get to college, they're in vastly different places. So the idea that, you know, I should compare myself to someone else that is either my age, my even my age, my major, my class, is a bad assumption to start with. You're mm -hmm. starting from a place of setting yourself up to fail because you're comparing yourself to someone who may or may not have anything uh, comparable to you in mind of what they want to go do. It's right. a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, look how different student backgrounds are. Like, Because I've had students that come into the program who I sense in them a great deal of potential, but they've processed very little music. They come from smaller band programs, rural programs, right? But I've had students from major programs in the state who have played every type of ensemble who own a sea trumpet who've played an orchestra who've been in youth orchestra and it's so different I mean it's interesting like it, it's great that students push one another but I think developing this idea of what they can do in their path is the key oh absolutely and this was uh, this might have just been through my own 
maybe overconfidence or just stupidity at the time. I'm not sure which. <laughs> but, you know, I went to some very good schools for my undergrad, but I wasn't thinking that I wanted to play in an orchestra full time. That wasn't something I was looking to go do. I like playing in orchestras. It's just not the job I really wanted. And it was my junior year when Barbara said to me, okay, I think it's time to start taking some auditions. You know, let's put you out there. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to play in an orchestra. <laughs> She's, mm. And we had a very frank conversation, which I could sum up like this. Her saying, okay, so what are you doing here? Which uh, obviously was nice <laughs> about that, but it wasn't that <laughs> frank. And, and me saying, I don't know, this is a really great place to learn how to play trumpet, and that's what I need to do. So mm. what I'm doing with that was different than a lot of my classmates. But that didn't that didn't stop me from, you know, continuing to work and continuing to work and continuing to grow around those people who are going to do vastly different things. I was really set upon, hey, I want, you know, for me, it's, it's always been pretty simple. We've talked about this before. If there's trumpet, I want to be able to do it. Mm. <laughs> you know, right. and I had friends that were like, no, I want to be the principal trumpet of a major orchestra or I want to be a New York jazz musician. You know, I want to, and they went and did that, and I have gone and done what I've done. So that I, so right, building that into your students, building it into your teaching is invaluable to make sure that those students are not sitting there thinking there's something I have to go do or I'm supposed to be working towards because that just sets you up for, yeah, but so and so does that and so and so does that. And oh, right. it's terrible. Students could be, they could be beat down before they ever get out of the starting gate. It's funny. I've I've suggested. I think about the ways that we can individualize our programs for students. Right. I mean, they're all in the same program. They're in the same school. They're in the same studio. But but finding ways to individualize the program for them, um, it can be, for example, the ensemble experience you create for them. While someone sits principal in wind ensemble, someone else might get their notoriety because they're sitting principal in orchestra or in brass choir or whatever it happens to be. The other way is repertoire. Right finding things that you know like i've said to a student I, I think you should play this piece and they said well no i don't i'm like well do you you, know, you don't want to do that why do you not like the piece And they're like well no but so and so did that a year ago and they sounded great on it and right. i don't want to like it's that it's always <laughs> running it's always running in the background the trumpet right. comparison thing you yeah. know so what do you guys think about um i, I agree with all this and it's, i just want to add another another layer to this so um, in the UK, they have a grade level national organization that administers grade level exams right. for each level of proficiency as a player. Now, you can do this if you're an engineer. You can go through these, I got my level, my grade six, I got my grade eight. Or you can do it if you're going to be a professional player. You know, I got my grade eight. But it establishes the standard for everyone. And it's actually quite difficult at every level for that. You know, you can age out. Um, and at every level, you have to achieve to get your levels. And then I think they actually talk about those things on, ad on admissions to universities. Mm. And you so can I say that I've done these yeah. things. And then at the same time, if students want to be professional orchestral musicians there are pieces they're going to have to be able to play. There is a gateway they have to get through. Um, and do you introduce those pieces or at least the knowledge that they, 
at a certain point they're going to need to cross this threshold. Is that some of the standard that you you maintain? Hmm. A couple of things about that. Mm-hmm. One, the idea of, of leveling out just so that people kind of, for lack of a better term, know where they are. If it's all voluntary, sure, knock yourself out. What do I care? But the idea that <laughs> there's a perceived you're good because you've passed that st- that stage while someone else who hasn't passed that stage isn't good is a real problem because there are people who may have vastly different skills but still be valuable professionals that don't have those specific skills. It's the same problem I have with standardized testing in the United States outside of music, mm-hmm. which is this isn't measuring anything other than how well you take that particular test, which Preach. then forces teachers into teaching for that test. Otherwise, they end up losing their jobs. It's a t- yeah. That kind of thing is a terrible overall idea because it homogenizes everything when what we're really looking for is a vast diversity of music. And that's my real problem there. Yeah. Now, to the second part of that, if somebody tells me I want to be an orchestral trumpet player, yeah, we're working on excerpts. Because if that's what you want to do, then I want to help you get there. And this gets to the overarching point when we're really trying to set standards based on the student rather than based on our perceptions. Then for me, the rule, and I've said this on this podcast at least a few times, and I've said it on master classes, I say it to my students, I want to start where the student is and get them to where they get them moving forward to wherever forward is. And that can be a vastly different places for every different for different students. Uh, one of my early students here at IU, he had done an undergrad here with Ed Cord. And as he was finishing up, he came by and he said, I'm thinking about sticking around here for a master's. And I told him what I tell all students that are finished up here, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been here for four years. You know, how, you know how IU works. Go do something else. And he said, well, but I'm wondering if I could audition to study with you and we could really do almost like a lead trumpet masters. Mm. And I went, huh. Well, we could do that because yeah. he's like, this is what I really want to go do now. So here, large ensembles, large ensemble. So during his master's degree, he played lead trumpet in the jazz bands. That was his large ensemble. And the rep we were working on, we were working on a lot of lead stuff. We were working on getting that sound together. Now, obviously, keeping everything else as well, not giving up other stuff, but really focusing there. Where I had other master's students, never wanted to get anywhere near a jazz band really thinking we're <laughs> like military band or playing an orchestra so mm-hmm. we weren't doing any of that stuff at all this you should be working we have the great gift of working one-on-one so right. we can work with that student so absolutely if they're if they're going a certain direction there is appropriate literature for that direction and we should be familiar enough with that to guide them in that way that part yes absolutely yeah so brian what did you score how high did you make it? <laughs> did you get past level two? Yeah, no. Um, I did I did work with some people who were judges for that. Like they go around the country to the different sites and they and sit how do you, in the room And how do you get to be day. a judge? Who assigns um, that? Who decides that the judges are good enough to judge other people? You just get involved in, in, the, in the organization. You have students who go through the organization. You have a certain measure of success as a professional musician. Um, and you do you do some judging at the you know the lower levels and gr- gradually just build up and you're judging hmm. you know become big leads in the national organization you go all over the country uh, sitting I have, some, for these I have some problems with this yeah is it was fascinating looking at the book um, that has outlines you know if you play cornet at this level you have to play these solos and these scales at this speed and do this sight reading and 
yeah, it's fascinating. When you say if you play cornet, you mean like <laughs> you don't mean like or trumpet. You mean versus clarinet. There are some people who actually play just trumpet. They started on the trumpet and they play just trumpet. And yeah. they are called Americans. <laughs> 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 Those are the expats over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually shocked the first time I found out. But yeah. they can be nice people. It sh- it was shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, <laughs> nice. Sorry. The the fascinating thing here for me is that I I think we owe this to the students to, you know, to to, to give them this individualized attention, but but there is a standard, right? So if they do want to let's say get into graduate school, I mean, we're finding this because we, we've talked about this both on and off the show that, you know, um, the audition materials for graduate schools now are some, some of them are lining up and some of the same things are showing up in places. For example, in our world, Onager Intrada mm-hmm. is showing up in a lot of places because one of the best schools in the country used it, right? It's put it on the list. Put it on the list. And then everybody said, well, yeah, we'll just do that. I don't, no. I, yeah, and I will say, luckily, this is something we're in charge of here, and, and John and I have talked about it, and, and Kevin's who's just joined us this year, we have no set list for exactly right. that reason. At any level, undergrad, master's, doctorate, we don't have a set list. And I, if students say, well, what should I play? I said, you should play something that you can sound great on. I wanna, right. We want to hear you sound great. Because if you choose something that you can't play, then that says two things. One, you can't play that. And two, you don't know you can't play that or you wouldn't have programmed it. Either way, that means you're not getting into school. Right. And I I have so much respect for that because I think it means that you're willing to listen to a student where they are and to consider what they bring to the table. I I do the same thing. Right. But that's the whole gig, right? That's the gig. And it's about the the way I say it, similar to what you were saying before. For me, it's about the distance traveled. Like, okay, the the point is not to make it as far as that person did per se, but the point is to make it as far as you can from from when you come in here and then, you know, until you leave and to be the best teacher and performer that you can be. Yeah, so, and especially when you have, I'm sorry, especially we have a, a, a huge amount of students here. So we have students that have come in here that are really close to winning jobs. And we have students that come in here that struggle. So if you have a student that comes in here that is maybe a couple little tweaks away from winning an orchestral job and another student who comes in here that is still really kind of getting it together and four years later the first student wins a job and the second student gets into an amazing grad school then those are both amazing successes right mm-hmm. right they're yeah. both successes there that the, that the first one well he didn't he took the same audition and you know he went out in the second round okay because you're right, the distance traveled is a, that's a huge part of this. Yeah, and I think it's the for me it's this balancing act because you want students to be inspired by other students, right? Iron sharpens iron, right? Yeah. You, know, you you want them to want to push push each other and be you know be in a healthy competitive atmosphere. Yet it has to be different enough to know that it's not a complete failure if you're not exactly that student that you right. don't do win that same audition or accomplish that same thing, but. As teachers, it's our job to allow that competitive stuff to fuel the fire to a degree, but yet, as we've talked about very recently, making sure they're having their successes. Yeah. Right. And I think that comes from really having a clear picture of what the standard should be for that particular student. And I know you guys are going to answer, I know what your answer is to this already, but when I was first starting out as a college teacher, 
um, I was given uh, a syllabus um, that was designed by a college professor who I think has turned out some unbelievably great players and um, is a great player himself and, and I think a great teacher. And the syllabus was extremely specific. Um, in first semester, week one, you will do these three etudes. <laughs> in week two, you will do these three etudes. And then on and it exactly down to the week that you would introduce these excerpts and the next week these excerpts and went you know to the to the week that it, and I don't know how strictly they adhered to that but this was in circulation this was something that I was presented I have theories about this yeah mm-hmm. go ahead yeah I think the longer you teach and the more success you have the more you can do that you know because if you took you know, you take a look at, um, like, Barbara and Charlie, probably, you know, two of the most successful teachers in our lifetimes, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So when I came to Eastman, I'm not sure I looked like those other students, you know? I'm somebody who played in jazz band and, like, doing this other stuff. And, yeah, I certainly played trumpet well and, you know. But now what they've got going on at Rice, they only have seven st- or eight students. Right. So they can be really, 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 really picky and saying, here's the student we're looking for. You know, right. like I think the three of us are all in similar boats at different places of we are looking for students that that are interested to play to a certain place at a certain level, for lack of a better term. They play the trumpet right. well enough and are interested and want to get better. We're like, hmm, OK, now, if you can ring that bell, we're good. Now, if you're somewhere and you've been doing this a while and you're really dialed in and now you're going, I'm looking for this student and I can mm. then you can get more specific. Right, and if you know exactly where you're starting, then you know the path, right? Yeah. You so have if, the path. But if you right. keep choosing the same type of student because that's the ones you've had success with and that's the ones you want to teach and you have that luxury, then guess what? Right. You but, can be really specific. But if you are doing things like, I, you know, that we've all talked about this, Brian and I, just because of the nature of our schools, I think encounter it more, right? Like, you know, because we're mostly teaching undergrads too. We don't really start anywhere near the trailhead. Sometimes, right. you know, we're <laughs> <Right>. that's <laughs> we're, yes. that's true. We're we're way somewhere else, and we're trying to get to that point. Uh, you know, it's interesting talking about the path and these specific etudes. Like in my mind, right? I don't think you guys would say I was crazy if I would say like, okay, uh, first year freshman year, Voxman etudes Conconi, right? Yeah, Some sure. Arabic, sure. right? Okay, that makes sense. And then let's shuttle ahead. Junior year, soft sophomore junior year, Charlier, depending on the student. Mm-hmm. And then junior, senior year, introduction to the Biche etudes, right? Mm-hmm. As an example of a continuum, right? Sure. And so I I love the point. Sometimes it's not until the senior year when Charlie A makes its way onto the stand. But you know what? Then I know I caught up. Do you know what I'm sure. saying? Yeah. yeah. Like sure. I managed to get that student caught up to the point where that's pretty good for them. Yeah, but even, uh, you know, uh, I used to teach all the jazz majors here. And this is a, a quick story about one. Came into audition. And I don't know if I've told this story. To stop me if I tell you. He, he, it looked like he played French horn. And oh. we had this folder. It said French horn stuff on it. I said, what's going on here? And he said, well, I played French horn. I got to high school. and I really wanted to play jazz. So I started playing trumpet. I'm like, all right, what do you got for us? And he mm-hmm. played a couple of etudes and sounded, I'm going to go with terrible. And I've told <laughs> we've had this discussion. This was right. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, what did you play in your jazz audition? Is there separate? He goes, I played all the things you are. And I said, okay play me that and he improvises a chorus and the bridge of that's really a pain in the butt 
And the changes are all there. And he walks uh. out of the room, and John and Ed look at me and go like, Ooh, that was rough. And I'm like, oh, I'm totally taking him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And right. in his first lesson, I said, you can't play trumpet. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> Four years later, he was great. Right. You know, so, you know, looking for where he is and going, oh, no, there's something there. We're going. Yeah, I, you know? I, I love that. Like, I, I love that idea. And over the years, because I've, you know, I'm, we've talked about this before on here, I've, you accept the person, not the player in a right. lot of cases, especially in music education. And I, and I had a student, you know, a few years ago came in and said, hey, I didn't get accepted here or here or, oh, by the way, they wouldn't take me either. Okay, so I'm already thinking, can I do this? And then I'm looking at the situation kind of going, no, I mean, I have a lot of trumpet players. Do I really need to mess with this? And then I ask some questions about what it is you want to do there, with right. this. And then I get an answer, and the whole time I'm thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> now, now I got to take, take you. Now you got to right? take them. <laughs> I love these answers. But if you have Honiger <laughs> as a requirement on your list, you never get to that point. You never I, meet that person. You never meet that person because that person never comes to audition for you. Right. No, and right. so that, you it, it eliminates uh, it eliminates applicants. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is uh, this is what I love. What we're talking about this and kind of developing as we go here. But this isn't about the standard. It's about a standard. We, we ha absolutely have to hold people to a standard. But but tailoring it to them is the way the way I think it works best. Yeah, Ab yeah, it, it, yeah. It's as simple, like I said before. It's as simple as from where they are to where they want to go to. Yep. And our job is to help them get there. And this is the other part of that. They may not get there in four years. That's not really it. This is a lifelong pursuit, as we've talked many times. If you're thinking that, okay, I'm going to go get my undergrad, and then I'm good enough to win a job so I can stop practicing, guess what? You're doing it wrong. The <laughs> idea is we're going to keep getting better and keep practicing. So, you know, I've, I've had a, I just talked with a former doctoral student this week that is out, and he, and he said, I don't know if you remember telling me this, but you, you said he was thinking about sticking around Bloomington as he had some teaching in the area. And I said, get out of here go away for a few reasons one you've been in school a long time it's time to be out of school two when you're here you're always the guy who came here to go to grad school you're not the guy who just got his doctorate oh right. he just finished his doctorate he must be good you know yeah. so he moved and he said and he said i imagine a lot of these things might in a couple of years you're just going to play better because you're away from here and he says that is so true <laughs> i'm out and i'm doing stuff and you then you can start really assimilating and putting into play a yeah. lot of the stuff that you've done in school. So it's not about just getting, you're not going to be a finished product, frankly, ever. And so the idea that you think school is, is going to turn you into one or should is just a bad assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I think this goes for me from when, when they come to school and you, and you, you, you start to build this standard and find this path for the individual student and then when they reveal maybe that they want to go on to grad school after that, or some of them just say, look, I want to go teach, and I think that's great. But those, you know, the, the variations in those that want to go on to grad school, I mean, they vary greatly in their ability. But if they really, truly want to pursue it, and I think that they've made it to that point, then that decision also factors in, too, because there are certain places that will work for them and certain places where they probably shouldn't consider mm -hmm. based on teachers and audition requirements and all those other things. Um, so I, I think if we're being thoughtful teachers, we're thinking about that, that it should be more individual and that we can, you know, we can help them set their own standard. Absolutely. Great. Like yeah. Very cool. Well, time now for one of our favorite parts of the show. No offense. 
no offense, but one size fits all teaching is not going to get it done. <laughs> now, Brian, no offense to wherever you got this information about these three etudes this particular week and so on and so forth, but we've got to teach the person, not the instrument or the curriculum. Yeah, I just think it's a shame that what if that person doesn't learn in that modality, right? It's, isn't it your responsibility as an educator to be able to reach that person in whatever way is best for them and to take them, like Joey says, from where they are to where they can be in four years or five years, get ready for a graduate program? Um, I think that's critical um, and, and our responsibility. And if you're not doing that, um, I think that's important at every level, right? It's important when you start kids in, in fourth grade. It's important when you're a high school band director. Your band needs to go from here to here. Now, the interesting thing is that we talk about is that um, by the time they get to be seniors, you're like, wow, I want to take you on a gig. <laughs> I want to take you to my job. Yeah, that's you right. You sound great. I, um, yep. And then they leave, <laughs> right? <laughs> then they go, go do something. You know, they go work with somebody else, um, which is great. That's the that's the goal. But it's um, you know when you see them fly away, that's that's a that's a wonderful moment. And yeah. I find I don't mind coaching excerpts and you know doing that that fine tuning. But to do that, I find it much more interesting to watch the four year growth um, and that blossoming into that point rather mm -hmm. than trying to polish for four years. Absolutely. Well, yeah. uh, go ahead, Joe. Okay. I was just going to go in on this. Um, I certainly use a lot of the same material with lots of my students. There's lots of the same stuff over and over again. But if you're sitting there going through a checklist, that's just that's just not right. And I've seen, I have certainly seen teachers uh, that basically have exactly what Brian's talking about. This is what my students do, and this is what they do in this order uh, at the high school level. So when they audition here, and they audition here with the same stuff, I know exactly who they study with, and all of them play. Right. Meh, what could be considered a you know, good ninth or tenth grade level, and that's where they all seem to stop because that's just where he teaches to. Bam, you know. Mm -hmm. I know the couple of teachers that are like this, but the other part is this: you do want to tailor to the students. So what I've been doing uh, a lot, and this year I have a few as we're getting ready for uh, upper divisionals and some juries. What I ask them is this: Okay, I've been choosing a lot of this stuff. I want you to tell me a solo that you wanted to learn that you just haven't learned. You thought, hey, that's kind of cool. And we start there because I had one this week and he's a very good sophomore say, yeah, I've never really learned Haydn. Shouldn't I know that? I'm like, let's go <laughs> in. All right. Take the first movement. Let's look at that next week. You know, and somebody else has said, so can I play legend? Yeah, you can play legend here. I'm going to, you know, let's get going, go buy it. But here it is. And we're going to go play that next week. You know, so let's find some interest there. Yeah. I want you to learn some solo lit. I think that's important as being a trumpet player. What solo that do you want to start with? And then we're going to go from there. Right. Yeah, we're going to use some of these etudes. And yeah, I'm going to make you transpose. And yeah, I'm going to make you learn some of these etudes. And we're going to do some of this. But I want them to have some say and some ownership there. Because otherwise, just going through the checklist, it just doesn't do any good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm always, it's always nice when you, you know, you're at that point when you have to pick that next solo for someone. Or in, or in the case of the first solo that someone's yeah. ever worked on, you know? Yeah. And you're in that place where you're like, well, do I coddle them a little bit more and pick something easier, which might be good because I'll give them a success? Or is this person ready for the challenge, right? And do I lean in and do that knowing I'm going to be working like crazy to get them there? But man, right. when it pays off. Um, one of my favorite times of, of year or in the, in, the, in the progression of the whole thing, right now my seniors are out student teaching. 
and they're all ed majors this year, which means when you get to studio class now, juniors are the most right experienced folks there, and it's you just watch that dawn on them like, oh, oh, okay, principal chairs open. Like right. what's going to happen? It's and my time. See, it's my time, baby. <laughs> I've waited long enough. <laughs> you know? Um, but I, that's interesting, too, because you look at what it... I looked around the room today and thought, I have a different kind of conversation with each one of these people every week. Cause it, especially right now, none of them learn the same way. Like, it's right. really... I've got some really wonderful individuals, and some I know that I'm going to assign it and it'll they'll come back the next week and it will be hammered into place. It'll be ready to go. And others are still going to need help. And that's okay because ultimately I think we wind up in close, being close to the same place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Well, listen, that about does it for today. We've come to the end of another episode of The Open Bell. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Tell your friends and students. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.